Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the NMA podcast. This week, I'm taking over the airways from uh, features editor Ollie Smith to record a special podcast as part of my regular column, The National's Inquirer, which aims to get to the bottom of all the goings-on in the world of national advice firms. Today, here to talk about that this week is Peter Trotman, Director at Vision Business Advisors. Peter is a broker who has first-hand experience of the mergers and acquisitions world, and today is actually his third time in the studio after being our uh, debutante Absolutely. here when the studio was opened. Uh, welcome to you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to uh, another podcast. Yes. They say. Yes. Yes. This is the third. It I'm is the third, oh, yes. Can't yeah. get enough. I've not got bored with it yet. No. So, uh, I like podcasts, obviously, from people, you know, because they don't see my face. So mm. uh, it's obviously a benefit <laughs> uh, benefit for uh, the listeners. Uh, but no, it's enjoyable. So, uh, yes, we're Good to hear. Looking forward. Good to hear. Now, Peter, I do have some questions for you today, of course. Not as much I'd love to just rattle on here for half an hour or so. But, uh, but I thought we'd start with the news that AFH has apparently been struggling with some of its recent, recent acquisitions, rather. Um, as was in the news on New Model Advisor last week. Uh, in its most recent update of the financial year ending 31st October, apparently the National Advice Giant announced a post-tax profit increase of 82%. Uh, however, as uh, we're all led to believe, it has been said that it's experienced difficulties with buying multi-advisor firms, um, which I know um, has come up before and has been a bit of an issue. Um, Alan Hudson, uh, the Chief Executive, did say at the time that and quote, there can be challenges when acquiring multi-advisor businesses where a minority of advisors are vendors and the interests of all parties require alignment. Would you like to comment on this at all? Can I ask you about this? Yeah, sure. Uh, let me talk. I mean, I, I mentioned this back in November time with it. We did an article with, with uh, New Model Advisor. Uh, the multi-advisor firms where you've especially with the self-employed advisors mm. uh, there are completely different purchase than a advisor firm where all the advisors are say it's a national with employed advisors um, the regional ones the regional ones are especially uh, can be fraught with issues mm. uh, several uh, points to uh, mention really which come up uh, firstly um, the principal uh, owns the firm, uh, but not in all uh, does he own all the clients. Mm. Uh, they they are owned by the individually by the self-employed advisors. Uh, there is also the principal uh, gets uh, paid and uh, walks away into the sunshine, or he may not walk into the sunshine, mm. he might hang around for a while, but obviously he gets all the benefits of uh, uh, selling the business. However, uh, the advisors, or in most cases, uh, the majority of them, uh, don't find any financial benefit. Mm. Um, in fact, in some cases, uh, the new incoming company uh, change the contract, uh, with the existing self-employed advisors, so they might reduce the uh, re retention rate or, or it might be increased, uh, so it might make it more difficult. Uh, so that's one area. Uh, their compliance regime, uh, if they're a, potentially a bigger company, mm. they are going to have uh, maybe a more restricted model, uh, not only in their compliance avenue, but also in what the advisors can offer. So you go from being a self-employed advisor, quite happily uh, linked to this business for, say, 
20 years or 10 years, uh, trading with them, using them really as a conduit to uh, cover you for compliance and paying you your uh, uh, fees. Uh, and, and you can do uh, go out and see your clients uh, and, and work in a way that you want to work. Mm. And then all of a sudden uh, that changes. So you find yourself paying away more from your earnings, from your recurring income. Uh, you find yourself uh, having to uh, deal with a different uh, compliance regime. And, um, and you haven't got the chap who you probably joined the firm for because he was a good guy uh he's not there anymore because mm. he's he's sold out to this far bigger company and um, so all of a sudden you you get a situation uh putting a lot of these guys at a crossroads and in a lot of cases they they look at it and think actually uh i prefer a, another company probably closer to where i was you know working so yeah. I, I so they look around for a, a smaller regional firm again um, so that that happens very much, and I think with AFH, and not just with AFH, uh, I can think of several examples where larger firms have gone in and the retention of the existing advisor force has been uh, interesting. I'm not saying they all leave, because in a lot of cases they don't, but they do have, uh, they do lose people. It tends to happen in the regional firms. Mm. Uh, if you've got the larger acquisitions, which involve self-employed advisors, uh, which Quilter obviously are probably the market leaders in and that with, with uh, Lighthouse uh, and uh, the Kairos, and uh, they've got uh, obviously Charles Darby they've just bought, but that was already sat with them. Yeah. Um, they tend to keep the advisors there with them because they, they keep them on the existing contracts uh, and they make sure that things don't change. But obviously with the more the regional, small, smaller regional firms, the incoming company uh, hasn't really got any option to, you know, have, say, 10 different offices across the country with 10 different operations. Mm. The economies of scale, that wouldn't be viable. So they need to pull it into one. Um, so, uh, yes, that's, that's my take on where probably AFHs, uh, and, and as I said, it's not unusual um, with, with where things are in the marketplace. Mm. And you're right to say that, you know, chalk and cheese, especially, you know, the huge national consolidator coming into, you know, someone that's been used to, you know, left to their own devices, if you will, yeah. um, on a, self, a self-advisor base. Um, and it would be quite a change. Yes. And, you know, it's not surprising that a lot of these people do seek out other regional firms instead of sitting under a new regime, if you will. Yes, I think uh, what's happened in the market in the market currently is firms. When I first started in this marketplace, I, I've come from a, a, an IFA background and I've been in the marketplace, or, or certainly as an IFA advisor and uh, director for over thirty years. Mm. Um, what is happening is the, the the original consolidators used to come in and were just interested in buying the client base. It yeah. was the clients they were interested in. Well, obviously, Mifid two and, and everything else coming along, uh, and 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 the shortage of advisors across the country. Firms now are turning around and saying, "Well, actually, uh, instead of just buying the clients, I actually could do with some advisors." Mm. So. The idea of being able to buy the 
funds under management and getting six, seven advisors, three, four advisors in the deal uh, from an acquirer's point of view is actually uh, very, very uh, exciting mm. uh, and, and, and you know, very promising. So they look at that as a great opportunity uh, because uh, the marketplace on these deals is driven by not just funds under management now, but also the servicing of these clients. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's on that. Is that more important for some consolidators then? When, as you said, you know, they get excited that, you know, six, seven, eight advisors are coming with the deal. Is that, to an extent, somewhat more important these days with the shortage of advisors than assets under management or clients? I would say so, yes. Uh, I mean, more across the marketplace. I mean, I, I get this uh, now uh, on an ongoing basis. And I will phone up a potential buyer and say, look, I've got this firm just come on the market. Uh, what do you think? And they'll look at it and say, well, you know, geography, it's, 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 we haven't got anybody there to service it. It's too far away from our local regional office. Mm. Uh, we need coverage. And, and the word coverage, uh, which when I started doing this, was never uh, really mentioned. It was a case of, oh, right, great, funds under management, Let's let's have Happy a look days. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now it's oh well, actually, uh, I can't. I'd, I'd like to, but I just haven't got the advisors, or mm. I haven't got the advisor, or whatever in place. Um, I have had uh, heard uh, of firms uh, having to rebate uh, clients because they've they've not been able to, uh, you know, cover mm. uh, that that particular or service that that client base so you can't obviously charge a client uh if you're not uh, delivering a service so uh, again firms are very wary of uh, making sure that they uh the client gets a service that they've signed up for so the charging structure is 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 they what they say on the outside of the tin they deliver you know on the inside yeah yeah okay no very interesting and it gone to the days where you've you know you've got two advisors that have been there for donkey's years and have you know, quite a large quite a large pot of assets under management yeah and they're dealing with a lot of clients and a lot of uh, well, assets have just said are they becoming a little more unattractive now to purchase uh i would say yes they are um and I, there's probably lots of people out, out there now in the marketplace thinking what's he talking about but you've got to get the coverage you you've got to have mm. the advisors to to take on that client base and uh, also uh, sellers they want to make sure their clients are looked after uh, and they they get a good service the same uh, level of service that they've delivered over the last 20 years to that client uh, so they want to make sure whoever buys their uh, client base or their mm. firm can continue that service a lot of these clients have, have been with them 20 years they're in some cases they're they're family, friends, uh, they don't want to be in a situation where if they are um, seeing them you know, in, at the local golf club or walking down the high street, whatever, they don't want to be in a situation where they've got to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, they need to make sure that they've got coverage for the income of firm. So that does cut it down because you've got firms that are looking for advisors for particular areas. You've got the guy selling wants coverage in that area so i think from it's not stop deals as such but it's it's made it uh there's it limits the choice yeah so you get 
queue of people, the old adage I had uh, of IFA saying, oh, I've, I've, I've got 10 people phoning me a month, you know, one, every month wanted to buy my business. Uh, I don't think that's happening now. Yeah. You might still get people telling, you know, if they're in a, say, in the southeast, you might still get people saying, oh, there's lots of people interested in my business. But I know for a fact that that isn't, that the interest is still there. Mm. But not in the uh, the type of uh, extent it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of consolidators getting you know, pickier with firms they want to acquire, um, now especially with um, the FCA's crackdown on fees of late, which has been going on the past year or so, yeah. um, are they going to have to become pickier with fees? I, in, yes, in I, I mean, absolutely. I, I've already had... Three, uh, two, two to three acquirers say to me, uh, if if the charging structure is too far out of line to mm. our charging structure, then uh, we aren't interested. Yeah. They can't. the The regulator is basically said to uh, consolidators that uh, if if the client wants to move on to their charging structure, it can't be totally out of sync to mm. the existing charging structure. Um, you know, so, so if somebody was on a 0.25 uh, and, and you've got to take them to and the and they, uh, incoming firm is 0.75, mm. that would probably be a leap too far. Um, likewise, uh, I've got firms that are on 0.5 and um, there wouldn't, why would you buy a firm at 1% char- recurring if you're charging 0.5? So, Straight away, it's great for the clients, mm. but you're paying based on the recurring income. So you're yeah. paying over the odds for that. Um, and again, I have, as I said, several firms turn around and said, well, actually, we want uh, practices that are very close to our charging structure going forward. Mm. Um, so th- they are becoming more pickier, uh, is, but that is the way the market's going. Mm. And it look, by the sounds, the FCA is getting a lot pickier too. Um Yes. When delving into these acquisitions. Um, generally speaking as well, uh, with the number of big firms and going through the many acquisitions they have, especially over the past few years, and as well as the expectation that a lot of advisors are going to retire over the next you know, five, seven, ten years, um, especially with the age demographic, are we moving towards an advice world where there are more consolidators Sorry, a handful of consolidators and less independent firms. I think so. Yes, I, I, I again. I mean, there was uh, some figures out uh, about a year ago. I think, and they they were saying the directly authorised side of the marketplace was had slightly increased. Um, but the way I see it, I think there's going to be there are going to be consolidators. I think there's also going to be a lot more what I would call mergers. Mm. So instead of actually firms buying out, I think we're going to get firms, two firms, look at each other and go, actually, do you know what? Economies of scale. Yeah. If we join together, uh, we can be A, uh, strength in numbers, um, our PI costs uh, may be uh, lower, mm. uh, which is another issue people have got, uh, as well as everything else. And uh, it will uh, probably weatherproof us more for what what potentially could happen six months a year's time? Yeah, I yeah. think every everybody lives in this with this world, and, and, and the the um, 
the marketplace would be it would be lovely to be able to value a business and say oh right well my business is worth this and I pretty much know in uh, a year's time or two years time it's still going to have that valuation mm. maybe with with some inflation based to that value um, where that it may change or it is changing is obviously all of a sudden DB transfers mm. which weren't on the table uh, a year or two ago they've always been but they're there PI cover mm. uh, is huge the, the FCA levies etc um, so you've got all these external forces that uh, nobody can envisage what the f- what the future cost will be yeah. so it's very difficult saying well if my business is worth you know, this amount of money today, it's going to be worth that in two years' time plus inflation. Mm. We don't know what's going to happen. No. We don't know. I yeah. mean, the, the market, you've got companies coming in um, from the States, very big uh, firms looking at the UK marketplace. Uh, if they, and I know they've been in before, with, we've had people like Edward Jones and that sort of thing, and they've come in and they've gone again. However, um, if they do start buying in market share, the way they work is they will drive down the price. Mm. And, and so or overnight, um, I don't think it will happen overnight, but over a period of time, that will drive down the price of, of, of businesses uh, because it, it's based on recurring income. Mm. Um, some companies use a uh, profit-based uh, valuation, which always tends to be lower than the uh, recurring income valuation mm. as a surprise. But, uh, yeah, that's where I feel the, it's going. Well, that'll be a nice mix. The FCA wants a lower fees and the you know, the general valuation of firms will go down too. That'll be a nice uh, issue to deal with in the coming years. <laughs> um, in terms of, we're just talking about um, you know, the FCA putting, uh, putting in a greater effort or, you know, in terms of acquisitions and putting more of a microscope on firms to make sure everything's you know, going okay and there's no nasty surprises or indeed skeletons going to fall out of the closet for the buyer or indeed the seller later on. Are they making the right moves or is this the right thing to do, to put more of an emphasis on checking firms that are doing the right thing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, I was talking to several guys that have sold they are who have been directly authorised and their view is the regulator, uh, they're really the, what the regulator wants to know with where the clients are going. Mm. They're not really interested um, so much as the wind down of the firm. Yeah. They're interested in where the clients are, are going to be, uh, their new home is. Um, they don't want to be in a situation where they've got uh, a thousand clients or, or more and there's an issue and, and they're left stranded. And of course, that potentially is another bad news story. Mm. Um, mm. So as long as they are looked after, they go to the right firm and um, the firms take on client bases that they've obviously got a charging structure in place. Um, the client doesn't have to accept that charging structure. They can uh, join a firm or, or be connected to a new firm um, on the existing charging structure. Um, they, the regulator is very uh, keen on making sure uh, the age of clients, so over a certain age, um, are they a vulnerable client, mm. what's going to happen to them, uh, all those issues. Um, obviously, are, is a firm offloading clients because of an issue so is there uh, db 
business in there uh, or is there any other uh, skeleton? So I think the due diligence side now of um, of incoming firms, uh, it's got to be uh, what well, it is in most cases, very, very stringent. Hmm. Uh, because if there is a problem, the although you, the, the issue hasn't happened in your firm, so if somebody has been uh, advised on a particular investment that's gone wrong, the previous firm uh, is gone, disappeared, yeah. but you've got this client that's now complaining about an investment, uh, but it's now your client, although it's not your issue as such, but it, is, it becomes your issue. Yeah. Uh, and so if you took on, if you're a substantial firm, you took on, say, 100 clients or more of, 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 from a they all had one particular issue, um, then all of a sudden it's bad news, so it looks bad. I yeah. know with uh, SJP and had a couple of issues. Again, they weren't SJP issues, but it was just happened that uh, it was historic business that they'd uh, that they joined them, yeah. and all of a sudden there was an issue with that previous firm. But of course, because they ended up with SJP, or they, again, there's other firms. It's the same thing has happened to. Uh, it make it makes your firm, uh, or, or it sort of slightly taints your, yeah, your company. Yeah, especially if it's in the news. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure you know, a lot of the people, a lot of the larger firms, they they all do their their work and they you know look deeply into. You know, firm they're buying, but there's only so much one can do, really. Absolutely. And you know, if the proverbial is going to hit the fan and something is going to come out later, you know, there's then it does quickly become your problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, with the FCA looking into it as well, and a few IVAs, <clears throat> excuse me, have told me that things are taking a little bit longer. Yes. To process yep. with acquisitions, yep. and there's been a mix of a this is a good thing because a it's saving me time. B I'll probably get a better result, and if there's any issues, then. Oh, chance I've got a better chance knowing about it first. Yeah. But there is the also the other side of the coin where they're going, you know, why is it taking so long? It's been six months, usually takes two. Yes. Yeah. But surely yeah. a bit of oversight, if you will, is a good thing. I think so, definitely. I mean, we, we uh, from a company coming in, they need to know that what they're getting is completely uh, what it says. Yeah, yeah, that, and, and they should be able to do due diligence enough to find that out. Yeah. Um, Going back to your opening question about multi-advisor practices, um, hmm. self-employed, one of the issues uh, that, that's come up with this quite a few times uh, that I've picked up over the years is, is firms have bought a multi-advisor firm. Um, and it's not a compliance issue. It's normally, normally a contractual issue where hmm. uh, it turns out you thought you were buying X amount of clients and it turns out that the the half the uh, clients are owned by the uh, self-employed advisors mm. uh, and um, but of course sometimes you don't actually there's there's sometimes that doesn't get picked up I, th I think nowadays I think now it does more yeah. but even yeah. so uh, there, it, it's still possible because it, you, you won't pick that up under compliance mm. you won't pick that up. Uh, under necessarily some of these contracts these guys have got, or it might be just a verbal contract. They mm. might have been working for this guy for 10 years. And then, and then it goes down to, well, whose client is that? Is it a client because he came to that business and he got referred to that advisor? Well, whose client is that? Now, if the advisor had been dealing with him for the last 10 years, but the client came via that company, uh, you, you get all these situations and, um, yeah, that, that can cause 
uh, some issues. Messy. Messy. Yeah. Quite messy, yes. Yeah. 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 God, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is with them too. Yeah. Um, as we were talking about earlier, with advisor shortages and MIFID two, as yep. you did mention, um, tell me about the impact MIFID two is having on all this and especially acquisitions. Well, MIFID two is, is, is having an impact, and the impact is it's servicing, it's it's delivering a service for the client, mm. and any purchaser it goes to the market needs to know that they've got to have the uh, capabilities of you know, it's not a case of just buying up clients. They need to have the uh, client delivery uh, for those new those new clients coming into their firm. Yeah. And uh, Miffy Two is is a issue because there's just not enough advisors mm. out there. Uh, and as you mentioned already, because of the age demographics of, of advisors, uh, it is a ongoing problem. And um, I personally, at this moment, unless things change drastically, it will it will just carry on. Yeah. Uh, there's just not enough. I I would be interested to know how many uh, for every sort of three or four advisors who retire. Um, do we get one new one new advisor qualified? Uh, is it one for four? Is it is it? I, I don't even. I don't think we're 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 level pegging at this moment no, in time. No, no, no. I, right. I think we're. I, I I don't know what the figures are. I've not seen anybody uh, come up with a uh, a figure. Um, on, on saying that, it's not all bad news because a lot of these firms, especially the big nationals, uh, now have um, a big presence of uh, people that are doing uh, mortgages and protection mm. or protection advisors and mortgage advisors. Uh, at this moment in time, I'm talking to several uh, people, um, a lot of these guys are quite happily doing mortgage protection uh, and and doing protection so they're quite happy doing that they're not that interested as such at this moment uh, of training up to be a financial advisor however if they do if we if we can get say a big proportion of those those advisors out there mm. uh, that would make a massive difference to the industry I don't know again I haven't got figures but it, it runs into thousands uh, so if if the industry could encourage 50% of, of the mortgage and protection advisors out there at this moment in time mm. to start uh, going into being training up to be financial advisors certainly level four um, that would make a big difference uh, but it's getting people it's a giving them a, a, a track to run on mm. uh, and uh, there's only uh, as far as I'm aware, there's very few companies. Obviously, you've you've got the SJP Academy, you've got Quilter Academy, and I think you've got some of the um, one or two regional are, are pushing that side. Mm. Um, but it's still uh, it, we're still woefully short on on headcount at this mm. moment in time. Very much so. And with the academies, well, I was um, speaking to both those parties um, a few months ago now, and look, it's noble, noble in cause, and it's great, and more people should take it up to you know, really bolster yeah. the numbers. But there are no stats, as you said. I've tried to look them up too, you know, with the yeah. ratio of who's coming in, who's leaving. And I can't imagine it'd be a rosy picture, to be brutally honest. And even the academies, it's only in the hundreds yes. a year. And that's the yeah. ones coming in without training. And no one's quite entirely sure how many are graduating, but it's certainly interesting. Yes, I... 
I, I don't actually uh, think the... I've, I've looked at the SJP Academy or, or online, read through, looked mm. at Quilters. I don't think any, any of these companies are make it easy mm. for, for people. And I could see that because obviously it's very expensive to train somebody. Oh, very much so, yeah. And they get trained up and they say, thank you very much. And I'll go off down the road <laughs> and either set up on my own or, yeah. or go and join another company. And, and, and um, they've trained them. Um, so looking at it, it's, it's, there's a few hoops to you know, to cross, uh, I, there are probably people who say, oh, no, it's dead easy. It's, but um, you do need probably a sponsoring company to bring you into the business. Uh, but, yes, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic business. Uh, I've got two, my two younger sons. i trying to get them in, interested. My youngest one is, is actually interested. Um, but it's finding a, a way to uh, get in mm. uh, onto the onto the first steps of the ladder. Yeah. Um, the the days of uh, when I first joined the industry, you could you could just walk in uh, at, at, with no experience. Uh, probably uh, was you know, or, or limited. You know, go on as a sort of training course, uh, and then and then you almost be up and running. Uh, th- those days are gone, and rightly so. Uh, however, we we do need to try and. Um, uh, push everyone mm. in the business uh, needs to emphasize that uh, it's it's a really good op- option for somebody uh, for a career um, I, I think a lot of the younger generation I'm sounding very old now but a lot of them see uh, they look at financial advisors and they tend to see older mm. guys doing it you know there's there's not many young financial advisors yeah uh, and so role models for the industry which which that we we need maybe to um, promote more mm. uh, as a as a whole, you know. So uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. You've got me thinking now about that that day of training you just said, you know, back in the the dark old days. Yes, I can just imagine two hundred financial advisors in baggy suits sitting there watching a screen and. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did work for my my second firm. I worked for. I won't mention their name, but they're. they're um, I, I think they. Uh, in the very early 90s they recruited one year they recruited 4,000 people mm. and um, they uh, their net gain at the end of the year was was I think something like 10 advisors so they recruited 4,000 yeah they recruited 4,000 lost four sort of lost 300 my god 3,950 or something daft mm. like that I don't know but it was it was yeah not the best rock rat no, but well, that was... I suppose we'd have those mass recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. Things, yeah. Half of them leave at lunch to go get a yeah. sausage roll and the rest yeah. you know, disappear after the first day. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah there was that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to one thing that I have um, been looking into, like P- well, obviously PI insurance is huge. Yes. Yep. Especially you know, the levy announcement the other day as of last year and you know, the, the advisors saying, you know, some, in some cases they're getting 500% increases in their... Um, PI insurance bills coming in and no one really knows where this is going to end up or if it's going to get worse, which many think it will. Um, a lot of IFAs have been um, been talking or commenting that they're hearing a lot of the smaller firms are flocking to the consolidators at the moment purely because PI insurance is becoming such an issue. Um, is this something that's actually happening or is this just a fear among the industry that a lot of people are Get it moving to consolidation just due to costs. Yeah, the the, the PI the PI issue uh, is you talk to some advisors and they'll say, well, my PI has only gone up by 
ten percent. Mm. It's okay, not an issue. I don't know what the problem is. Um, and then you talk to other advisors where it's been gone up by fifty percent or a hundred, three or four hundred percent, and uh, they've had a real struggle getting it, uh, even when they haven't had any issues. Mm. And and it is very very um, odd. There's no consistency mm. in the PI market. Um, and it's almost a case of, I don't use the word luck, but it, it seems to each, if you ask 10 firms, they give you 10 different um, probably answers. No, very you, much you, so, yeah. you, you've got the bulk, you know, probably 50% would say, yeah, it's gone up well above what we expected it to. And the other 50% would say, there's no, there's no issue with it. Mm. The concern is for some of these guys, I mean, I, I, uh, a year or so ago, I spoke to one chap and he said, I'm perfectly happy. And he was paying £4,000 a year. Um, six months later, he phoned me up and said, I need to do something. Just had my PI renewal in and it's gone from 4000 to 40000 uh, And that was a sole trader mm. a company uh, or limited well, sole trader limited company. So that in that situation, he, he just said to me, look, he said, if it goes up again, that the same amount next year, then he said, just forget it. That well, I'm out of business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that has definitely pushed people to maybe make a decision earlier. So if they said, right, I'm going to retire at 65 and they're 63 and all of a sudden their PI goes through the roof, then uh, that may bring their decision making forward. Mm. Um, I've also spoken to companies where they're directly authorised um, Due to maybe they they have done um, some DB work, um, PI covers renewals come in, and basically it's just killed the DB transfer market for them. Um, and this is proper uh, what I call DB marketplace where they've um, uh, d- done not lots and lots, but just a few, uh, which have been uh, properly uh, compliance checked, mm. etc. Those type of firms are finding it and say, well, look, I can't do that anymore, which is ridiculous because uh, they are giving quality advice. And then again, it causes a, an advice gap for the client. Uh, so where does the client go? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and that, that not just with the PI cover for costs. Um, also, I speak to a lot of advisors and their minimum cost per client mm. uh, is they've had to raise that. So there's a whole tranche of clients out in the UK who currently um, were probably getting what I would call a, a, a you know, uh, um, not necessarily seeing an advisor every year, but were, were having some sort of uh, advice, um, you know, they, they were, had access to it. I think going forward, there's going to be a whole tranche of people that just aren't going to get financial advice anymore mm. uh, because a they probably can't afford to pay for it and they're too small uh, for their their holding financial holdings too small for for it to be um, profitable and mm. not even profitable just just for it to cover the costs yeah. of the of the advisor um, so MIFID 2 and the PI and all these things is is, is made the marketplace um very, very cost conscious mm. to serve as a client, but also, uh, you know, from a point of view of it going ongoing, uh, how much money 
if, if the price gets pulled down, uh, driven down going forward, uh, it's going to narrow that amount of money you can deal with the client or profitability of firms, etc. It's, it's going to be an interesting time mm. over the next few per- years. Perfect storm, if you will. Yes. It's yes. going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost there. Um, now, last question for you. Private equity-backed firms, um, usually the large ones, yes. um, tend to have a rather opaque management practice or management structure. Yep. Um, how would a mediator such as yourself ensure everything is above board um, when there are so many nasty surprises that can come with PE companies buying into firms? Yeah, um, I think the private equity side has become something that is, is, is in the last, I suppose, year or so, mm. it started to come in and more private equity firms are starting looking at investing into uh, companies. They mm. tend to be on the bigger side. Yeah. Um, I would say at the moment they seem to be it seems to be driven by numbers um so they look at what the what that company has got what its stock value is what potentially it could be worth uh my only concern with private equity firms coming in is i i think they might find driving the price up of a financial advice firm is a lot different than driving the price up of a uh, of say a um, you know chemists joy mm. a, a chain of chemists or, or yeah. a distribution firm or, or some or an IT firm um, because they must know the FCA what it's like. However, um, it, it, it that will be interesting. I I, I would say a, to suddenly drive the price up of a of a directly author of a substantial um, financial advice firm um, it, without doing detriment to client uh, service mm. uh, w- will be interesting so I'm I'm is is it good for the marketplace uh, I'm, I'm on a 50 50 on it at the moment I I, I, I can see more um, uh, more negatives than positives with it mm. but uh, I'm sure I'll probably be proved wrong um, but but it would be an interesting one to watch I suppose you can work on both um, well it's very well said you said 50 50 because it as well as that, it can you know hurt both sides as well. I mean, advice firms are very. There's so many moving parts and so many things that can potentially go wrong. Yes. Um, yeah. Especially if the FCA comes knocking, and especially with DB stuff, as yes. Um, yes. a certain national firm found out late last year. Yeah. Um, when their private equity backers, um, yeah, had, yeah, took a wee bit of a hit and took some money out, and yeah, yeah, it's certainly a risk, isn't it? Yeah. To, yeah, and then that was a classic. Uh, that particular firm, they they uh, had to write down their investment. Mm. Uh, it is it is a different marketplace. Uh, they must know what they're doing. Obviously, they're very a lot more switched on than mm. me. But I mean, you know, if you invest into a firm, as I said, without any regulation as such on it, you you could just say, well, we're going to increase the price by ten percent. Yeah. Well, you, you go into a financial advice firm, you can't suddenly go overnight. Right, we're just going to increase the price by ten percent, twenty percent, and we're going to get twenty percent more value. Therefore, it's going to be worth. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, but but on saying that, I think there there are going to be more deals done uh, in the marketplace mm. uh, because the financial uh, services market um, is seen as, uh, especially the funds under management, the, the driven the price, is seen as a as a you know a very good industry uh, to be in. Mm. Uh, 
Um, but like you said, there's a lot of moving parts to it. So we will we will see how that pans out um, because obviously it's great, but you've got all these clients. But we also need a lot new a lot of more advisors to service you know to, to deliver yeah, a service. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's uh, watch this space on that one. I watch think. this space indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Should be a very fun 2020 in that respect. Absolutely. Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure and lovely to speak with you again. And thank you very much for making the time for coming in the CityWire Studios and imparting your wisdom. Thank Um, you. Now, if listeners at home have their own experience of being approached by a bigger advice business, they're, of course, welcome to get in touch with us and give us their views. You can contact uh, the lovely news desk or news at citywire.co.uk or slide directly into my DMs at jfitzgerald at citywire.co.uk. Now, the only thing left to say um, and a little plug for us is we are now on Spotify. Um, So give us a listen. There at your convenience, open the app and search for New Model Advisor. You will find our entire back catalogue of podcasts, guests and dreadful Ollie Smith quizzes there. Uh, so until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Hello, folks. Well, we asked AFH for their views on this story and Chief Executive Alan Hudson did reply to us. He said, As with any acquisition of multiple advisor firms, it would be unrealistic to expect that every advisor stays following the inevitable changes that occur when a business is acquired, especially in the case of self-employed advisors who may resent having had no say in the decision to sell. We don't view advisors that leave post-acquisition either at our request or theirs as anyone's fault. It is simply a matter of cultural fit. (laughs) 